Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. Remember, if you do invest in any publicly traded concern, you do so at your own risk. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Robert Mintak, CEO and Director of Standard Lithium. Trading in the U.S. is STLHF and on the TSX Venture Exchange as SLL. Standard Lithium is a near producer of lithium brine. Even though we've been covering the lithium and battery mineral space for quite some time, we're still at the beginning of a complete revolution, if not full transition, into a world dominated by electric vehicles. You may not have one now, but most likely you will someday. Right now, there's a mandate by major automakers to convert completely to electric vehicles in very short order, even though the supply for these battery-powered vehicles with regard to lithium is just not here yet. We've found a solution for some of that supply right here in California, and it's nearly ready for offtake or market. We drove up today from Los Angeles to visit with Mr. Mintak at Standard Lithium's Bristol Dry Lake Project in San Bernardino County, California. And let me tell you, I've traveled to many mining projects globally, and this is by far the easiest to get to from either Los Angeles or Las Vegas. Very smooth conditions. Active freight railroad tracks pass right through the area, and site roads are very good. I'd call it Infrastructure Plus, right in the heart of California. The Bristol Dry Lake Playa is a flat salt dry lake that occupies approximately 155 square kilometers in a 2,000 square kilometer arid drainage basin. Standard Lithium's partnership with two permitted brine operators provides it with immediate access to raw brine. The project covers 35,000 acres and covers the majority of the playa and overlies a basin that is greater than 1,000 meters deep. Standard's position in this nationally important resource is highly strategic, and personally, I've never seen an operation quite like it. Very exciting. What are we looking at here, Robert? Well, Ellis, welcome to Bristol Dry Lake Lithium Brine Project in the Mojave Desert in California. 35,000 acres of brine leases that we have under option agreement with two permitted brine operators. The area has been producing industrial minerals from the near-surface brines in Bristol Dry Lake for almost 100 years. How come I wasn't aware of this? Most people weren't aware that there was lithium in the brine in Bristol Dry Lake. The USGS had drilled here in the 70s and 80s, and it was in their publications that the, they intersected brine from virtually the surface to as deep as they drilled, 500 feet. There was brine intersections pretty much the whole way, but it didn't fit a conventional lithium brine development model that most companies look at using massive evaporation ponds. The chemistry and the permitting challenges, even though there's currently producing mines here, a traditional mindset would look at this and say, no, it wouldn't work. But the state of the lithium extraction processing is now opened this opportunity and we seized it because we looked at it and said, where else can you work with an asset where you know you're gonna have access to brine immediately we successfully negotiated agreements with the two permitted operators here to begin work right away. And we knew there was lithium in the uh, brine because we could come in the day one we signed an agreement and we took thousands of liters of brine to sample and begin processing. Essentially, you're in production. Do I have that right? I wouldn't say production, but we have a fast track to get the resource developed. Right now, we've got five drill holes being put in the ground here. And we've taken tens of thousands of liters of brine, taken it to our three different campuses in North America to begin lab-scale work to unlock the lithium from the 
brine so that we can put a flow sheet together towards pointing to a fast track to production. You've been in the mining business for quite some time in the lithium sector for a while. Are you surprised by what you've discovered? Not surprised by what we discovered, but I was pleasantly surprised that we were able to put the deal together quite quickly, that both the permitted operators in Bristol Lake were open to working with us. National Chloride, we signed a deal with them in the spring of 2017, and then with Tetra Technologies, New York Stock Exchange listed chemical supply company. We signed a deal with both of them that gives us the option to acquire the rights to the lithium development in Bristol Dry Lake. And we put the deals together quite quickly, which allowed us to really point to our investors to show that, yes, there is a path to production here. And production cost as compared to other juniors in the sector right now, uh, what are we looking at? I can't really put OPEX and CAPEX numbers on it, but the things that we looked at on this project were to unlock the asset using a modern process, what do we need? We needed to know that we had a brine with lithium in the chemistry. We had access to the brine so we could prove that right away. We needed to know that we would have a fairly straightforward permitting regime. It's an industrial mining area of California. Almost 100 years of mining has gone on here. And there's two permitted operators, so we could point to a path to show that the permitting would be without a lot of hurdles. We also needed to know the other thing you need on a modern process for lithium extraction is you need to have access to cheap reagents, probably some of the cheapest chemical reagents in the world because we're in the heartland of the United States. If you look around here, you'll see there's a paved highway to the front door. There's water, there's power, there's rail at the site. You don't have any better infrastructure anywhere in the world. So we could look at those things and say this is a great stage to launch a modern lithium brine project. I traveled up from Los Angeles, took me about three and a half hours on paved roads all the way. And from all the projects I've visited all over the world, this has been the easiest to get to, the less nauseating. As you know, a lot of projects are off-road and they're very difficult to get to. And we passed the railroad tracks where you're going to be offloading. It's just right here. Yeah, no, there's the Burlington Northern is right. It's actually, there's a siding on the project. Tetra loads chemicals right from the project location we're at here and ships it across North America. So we can look at all of those things and we can say this is an opportunity for California to participate in the clean energy renewables and the electric vehicle economy. California is the epicenter of the green movement. Tesla was built here. Solar and wind are key in California, but there hasn't been an opportunity to have a raw material supply as part of that, and we're hoping to demonstrate that. What kind of contact do you have with the local and state government here in California? We've just started making an introduction of what we're trying to do with Standard Lithium in California. We've made some face-to-face meetings in Sacramento, and we had an extremely receptive audience. Unlike the challenges you would think of building a mining project or a classical mining project in a state like California, working in an area that has been producing industrial minerals for close to 100 years, as I said, and also working to build a product that will go into lithium batteries to be part of the green supply chain. It gives a halo to the project where it aligns with the state's interest. What kind of mine life are we looking at potentially? Does anybody really know? Well, we're working on those numbers now. So we're working to produce a national instrument 43101 during the second quarter of 2018. We've got exploration crews right now drilling wells, getting that data, all the data points necessary for that. And we've been able to act quickly because working with both the permitted operators allowed us a lot of opportunity to work somewhat under their umbrella. And we're doing the work to unlock the flow sheet on the lithium processing. So we'll be looking at that 43101 coming out, but we can look at what's gone on historically here and say, 
you know, they've been really just scratched the surface on the resource that they have here. They've been mining for, as I said, close to 100 years. And what we're looking at is really magnifying the opportunity here from the work that Tetra and National Chloride have done and really building a model that will show that this will be a world-class and a, a world-scale project. And you have a sizable potential here in California, but there's Arkansas to discuss. Yeah, we just recently announced uh, at the start of 2018 that we signed a deal with Tetra Technologies. Again, we've got the deal with them in California, but also on what really may be one of the most exciting lithium projects in the world and the smack over in southern Arkansas for 33,000 acres of brine leases there. And we also just announced a couple of weeks ago that we signed an LOI with an existing chemical processing company in southern Arkansas to build a pilot plant adjacent to an existing permitted facility. So all those things align with our business model where we were looking to eliminate project risk in that working with opportunities to work with existing producers so we could fall under their permits, have access to brine, working in areas where we know the brine, we'd be able to access it to begin process work immediately. Those things all aligned. What we're doing in California, we're doing in Arkansas as well. And we're going to have some significant news developments coming out of there. The 33,000 acres that we picked up in Arkansas had over 256 wells drilled on it already. We have access to all the drill log. We have access to over 200 miles of 2D seismic on that. So we're going to be very quickly be able to build a hydrogeological model and put out a resource without having to spend a lot because the work's been done already. The value of being a journalist in the resource sector, in addition to being an investor, is that you can travel to the site and take a look for yourself to evaluate how developed a project is, essentially determining if a story is mostly promotional or in fact real with a producing mine coming in the near future. And our crew saw just that. We're doing real work. We're not just promoting like a lot of junior companies are. Get ground, run a promotion, then try and get some more ground and never do any work. We've been active since day one because we were able to work with National Chloride and work under some of their mining permits. As soon as we signed the agreement, we got Brian to start working with, but we also got a geophysics crew on the ground, ran a gravity survey and a EM survey within the first three months, and then we started drilling in October. We've been drilling ever since. I've been speaking with Robert Mintek, CEO and Director of Standard Lithium, trading in the U.S. as STLHF, and on the TSX Venture Exchange as SLL. Learn more about Standard Lithium by going to their website, standardlithium.com. For the Ellis Martin Report, I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Dale Brentlip, geologist, speaking on behalf of Orex Minerals, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as REX and the U.S. as ORMNF. Orex Minerals is a Canadian-based junior mineral exploration company with an impressive portfolio of large gold, silver, and copper exploration projects on renowned mineral trends in Mexico, including the Caneto San Luis del Cordero and Sandra Escobar projects, as well as in Canada with the Jumping Josephine Gold Project. Each project has impressive merits of its own. Packaged together, the chance of Oryx making the next big resource discovery increases dramatically. The company's directors and management include industry professionals with a consistent track record of identifying and advancing successful mineral exploration projects. Mr. Britliff joins me today in the company's offices in Vancouver, Canada. Dale, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, very nice to be here. Thanks. Now, if you don't mind, tell us about the company. Oryx Minerals has been around for a few years now. We've been very active in Durango and more recently 
family property in Sinaloa as well. Now we're back to Durango with three project focus and we're very excited to be in this prolific silver area, Mexico. This is a really nice jurisdiction actually and a very prolific area. What's your most exciting point that you can say about project in general? Well, many people will be aware of the Sandra Escobar project that we had a lot of success in uh, 2016. We had a bit of a stumbling block there when we came up against some challenging metallurgy. That notwithstanding, the project itself is very exciting. There's a very exciting mineral trend on it. And uh, just recently, we've announced a a three-way deal with Pan American Silver, by which we have a three-way JV that we are going to invigorate that project. We believe that we have something of an analogous system to La Pitaria, which is located about 40 k's to the east of us. What we were drilling on the Boleros deposit was a low temperature, low energy distal uh, manifestation of a larger system. Pan American Silver seemed to agree with us and Canisil are along for the ride as well. We're going to form a three-way JV in which we form a technical committee. Pan American is going to be funding us for the first year or two and we are going to go searching for the rest of the mineralized system at Sandra Escobar. And you said Fresneo is involved as well, correct? Fresneo is involved in the Coneto project, which is another Durango project of Oryx. It is a 45-55 JV with Fresneo holding the uh, majority share. They earned in over a period of three years. They spent over six million dollars in exploration there. We announced some results last year, but at the moment we're still planning up the next phase of work. And tell us about the management team, if you don't mind. Oryx Minerals is one of the Bell Cara Group companies. We share much of the senior management with some of the other companies in the group. Ben Whiting, many people will know him. He's a very accomplished geologist, especially experienced in Mexico, but all over the world. Art Fries is a director of Oryx, as he is with the other companies as well. Again, he's a very accomplished geologist with more than 40 years experience. Uh, Myself, I've been around in the exploration industry in Australia and in Canada since 1997. And uh, we also have another senior geologist, Rob Van Egmont, who is now uh, the senior geologist for Dolly Varden Silver, which is another of the Belcara Group companies. And of course, this group has had a lot of success in the past, specifically with Orco Silver. Yes, the uh, La Preciosa project is a great story. It was one that we are trying to emulate again with our other companies here. They took an early stage project, a silver project in Durango in 2005 and started to drill. One of the key discoveries there was that not only were there steep, steep dipping uh, silver bearing veins, there was also a very large thick vein that was a low angle that held a lot of silver. They ended up selling the company to Core Mining in 2013. That was a very, very successful transaction and it's one that many of our shareholders experienced that. They lived through that and they want to see us do it again. Well, Dale, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for joining me today on the program. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. I've been speaking with Dale Brentliff of Orex Minerals, trading as REX on the TSX Venture Exchange and ORMNF in the U.S. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com. High-quality but undervalued mining stocks are finally starting to attract the attention of investors. Get the latest news and resource stock investment opportunities with a subscription to Resource World magazine. Published six times a year, Resource World features in-depth articles on mineral area plays, commodities of interest, and valuable investment insights by highly qualified market analysts, geologists, and mining journalists. Go to resourceworld.com to find out more. Join me for a conversation with John Anderson, the chairman of Triumph Gold Corp, trading as TIG on the TSX Venture Exchange and TIGCF in the U.S. Triumph Gold Corp is a mineral exploration company currently focused on its 100% free gold mountain project in Canada's Yukon. This road accessible property is located in the Dawson Range Gold Copper Belt 
host to the Casino Copper Deposit, the Coffee Gold Deposit, and the Plaza Gold Prospect. Triumph Gold Corp. has a leadership team with a collective history of exploration, success, as well as capital raising ability. Today we join Mr. Anderson from our studios in Vancouver, British Columbia. John, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Alice. Thanks for having us again. What can you tell us about what's happening with Triumph and the Yukon? Well, we had a successful 2017 year. It was a project, your listeners may remember, it was a a project that was put together by a prospector and his wife years ago. And we found three significant deposits, 43-101 deposits. They had a 2 million ounce gold deposit, another copper gold deposit that's another million ounces of gold, 6 million ounces gold equivalent. They're low grade, we realized that, but it was something that we realized when we took it over two years ago, it was an ultimate call on gold and copper prices. So at $1,200 gold, it didn't make a lot of sense, but his gold was going to go through $1,500, $1,600. This company would be a lot more valuable and the asset obviously would be worth, we think, in the hundreds of millions. Well, what I find interesting, not only about what you just said, is the fact that some of the majors, four or five of them, have acquired properties and one has uh, actually acquired a junior over there. I had a conversation with Brent Bergeron with Gold Corp just a few years ago, two years ago, as a matter of fact, and they're quite interested in that area. I know that your property's sort of in the way of Gold Corp's uh, ambitions. That was the game changer. So 2017 was actually a remarkable change for this company. I just said earlier that we position this as the ultimate call on gold, but just up the road that still hasn't been built from where we are, Gold Corp purchased Kamenak for $520 million in uh, late 2016. And here we are at a little $20 million company with a resource that was somewhat similar to them, but not as, as de-risk with the uh, engineering studies. But to allude to the point that are we in the way of that? We are right along a geological trend, the Big Creek Fault, but we have all the infrastructure that we need to deploy a mine one day. We've got a road, a government-maintained road access from the Klondike Highway to our property, right through our property, and our, actually our boundary ends right at the end that road. And essentially, no matter what happens with any of the majors, that's your plan, isn't it, to build a mine? Right now, at today's commodity price, the, the project wouldn't make sense. But it, again, as, as we get through $1,400 and $1,500, this will be a mammoth mine. And, and that's the way we're going to drive forward. Tell us about the shareholder base. It's pretty solid from what I understand. And I'm a shareholder, by the way. I should disclose that. Great. Thank you. Yes, we have fantastic shareholders. And, and when I said 2017 was a, a game-changing year for the company, and instead of just being a call on gold, we got a part of that was Gold Corp came to us last March and invested $6.5 million for 20% of the company. So it's not just an area play. They see our technical team. They see our resources. They also see the exploration potential. So we have Gold Corp in for 20%. We got Palisades Capital. They've been there for two and a half years and continue to buy. They've got 17%. Got Gold 2000 out of Zurich and some other smaller funds that have three, 4% position. So realistically, we've got about 60 to 70% and institutional long hands and then ourselves management we have about 10 percent you mentioned that roads hadn't necessarily been built yet in the area but i know that the canadian government the federal government here gifted the province if you will the territory with a significant amount of money to improve the infrastructure there yes just september of last year our prime minister justin trudeau came up and, and announced a 525 million dollar infrastructure program for the yukon which was mainly road building a lot of that is aimed through our area and areas of the north but one thing that separates area and the infrastructure is we've got that road now the first phase of that deployment 
is upgrading our road. The 30-kilometer road that goes right through our property as well as the 40-kilometer road that connects us to the Klondike Highway. So that's phase one. The next phase would be really continuing on from our property and building a brand new road up to where Western Copper and Gold Corp is. What are we going to see in 2018 specifically with regard to Triumph? We are going to see an extension of our exploration program. So rather than try to do engineering studies, we know we've got those three deposits. Last year, we did a a modest program. We did 13,000 meters. It was very cost effective, only spent $3 million. But we came up with four different discoveries, mainly confirmation of a, a very large porphyry system that's three kilometers long underneath and surrounding the the current geological resource in one area of the property. So we're going to explore that porphyry more. We're also going to go to the, some of the higher grade areas of the property because the property really is endowed with a lot of scarns, epithermal and plaster operation and a polymetallic deposit called the tinted deposit. So we want to go and test those high grade theories that would actually add to the grade and the size of the deposits and resources that we have. Let's talk about your team. We've got a a very lean team right now. I know a lot of people like big management teams and big names. We have a very lean team. It's really led exploration wise by uh, Tony Bereshi. He's a 15 year PhD geologist. He's the one who came up with these ideas. We looked at hiring him independently to give us a a view of the property a year ago, came back so excited and came up with five ideas that we tested and we hit on four of them. And then Paul Reynolds, who is our president, he's done a fantastic job with community relations and really doing everything right. In fact, we have a press release we're bragged about, but we got a reclamation award, the Robert Lucky Award up in the Yukon for the great work we did. We received the Robert Lucky Award, which we didn't even know we were going to get. And that was for the reclamation work we did for uh, previous work on the property and how respectful we were for the environment. So we're doing everything right. On the board, we have a compliment of Gregory Sparks, who just joined us as a mining engineer, and Joe Campbell, who is the CEO of Terex. He understands this deposit really well working on in the past and very excited. And I think you're going to start seeing a lot more people and others outside of just myself and Tony and Paul. Tell us about the structure of the company. Right now, we have 62 million shares outstanding. Again, 60% of it is held within uh, six, seven people or groups, including Gold Corp. We do have some warrants and options that would bring in another $6 million. Average strike of those is around 18 cents. We're trying to maintain our dilution down to a, a very minimal amount. And John, on a scale of one to 10, how excited are you about the company and why? On that, I'd say I'm a 12. And I'll be honest with you, I'm very bullish on the commodity. I'm very bullish on where gold's going. I think we've come through a really tough six years. You're starting to see other stocks react on discoveries. But we have really the ingredients for something that is more than just the 6 million ounces we have. We're one of the cheapest valued companies for the resource we have. We're in a geopolitical safe area. And we're in an area where the majors are starting to really wake up. We've got Gold Corp that has invested in our company and, and paid $520 million up the street. You've got Barrick who's showing up. You've got Anafagasto that's been sniffing around. You've got Newmont that took an equity position. And Coeur d'Alene Mines that's invested into a company that's about four kilometers away from us. Well, John, it's always a pleasure to see you. Always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining us today in the program. Thank you very much for having us. And I look forward to giving you an update in another couple months. I've been speaking with John Anderson, the chairman of Triumph Gold Corp, trading as TIG on the TSX Venture Exchange and TIGCF in the U.S. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com. Did you hear something worth repeating? Find all segments of this program on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Once again, here's Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Paul Cronin, 
the CEO and Managing Director of Black Dragon Gold. Trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as BDG. Black Dragon Gold owns 100% of the Salave Gold Project in the Asturias region of Spain through its wholly owned subsidiary EMC. Salave is a technically robust project situated in a highly prospective region and recognized as one of the largest underdeveloped gold projects in Europe. Paul, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Very pleased to be here. If you wouldn't mind, please give us an overview of the company. Sure. Black Dragon Gold is a TSX-listed mineral exploration and development company which owns 100% of the Salave Gold Project in northern Spain in the province of Asturias. Black Dragon has been around for a little while in other iterations and the project was actually discovered in about 100 AD by the Roman Empire. The Romans mined about three and a half million tonnes out of there and I'd imagine that would have taken them about 100 years given they had no automated mining equipment and then it sat there until about 1971 when it was re-drilled again and more extensively drilled in the early 2000s and being approached again as an open pit deposit. We've looked at it very differently. We think in actual fact this is a profitable underground mine and fundamentally that's on the basis that we see significantly high grade gold mineralization south of about 200 to 250 meters and we're going to be testing that a little bit more very soon. The company believes it has about a million ounces in the ground, potentially about a billion three US dollars sitting there and the Romans only got so far with the technical ability they had back in their day. And of course the Spanish themselves were responsible for so much gold mining, especially in the Americas. Why was this project left alone for so many centuries until 1971 and then only until recently with Black Dragon Gold? Well, I think it was initially looked at as an open pit. And of course, you know, the Romans mined out a significant quantity. It's very close to the coastline. And I think it was always going to be very difficult to economically extract this as an open pit because eventually you would have water ingress. The surface is about 40 metres above sea level. 40 metres is not a particularly deep pit. So it doesn't give you a lot of ability to continue mining some of the higher grade material. And of course, when this was last properly evaluated was in the early 2000s when gold prices were $300 an ounce and now they're 1330 or thereabouts. So we've re-looked at it and said, well, look, the best way to approach this when you've got really sturdy, solid granites to mine through is to look at it as an underground mine. And what we now know is that there is some very, very high grade gold mineralization of depth and that's where we really want to focus our efforts. Give us a picture of what that's going to look like over the next few years, Paul. Sure. Well, the beauty of the Salave deposit, and because there's been so much work done, particularly being between sort of 2004 and now, is that we actually don't need to do a lot more work to be able to put together a feasibility study and a mine plan and be able to present that to the government. A lot of that data already exists. The resource has been very well drilled. What we want to do, however, is better understand what's happening at what we call the sub-vertical feeder structures that are around sort of 250 to 300 metres below surface. And next week, we intend to commence a drilling campaign on that larger structure where we know historically there's been a number of intercepts that have exceeded sometimes 50 grams per tonne of coal. But what we really want to focus on is not just it's great that the high-grade zones are there, but we want to understand the geometry of those zones. Is this the ultimate source of the deposit? And if it is, it really could open up the resource to being substantially larger and higher grade at depth. And we know that the deposit right now is open at depth. 
So that's where we're starting immediately. We've mobilised two rigs yesterday and they will start turning in the next day or two. But once we've done that, we're going to obviously have a go back through all of the historical work and relook at our resource and see, you know, do we have more than the million ounces and is it slightly higher grade? than what we had originally anticipated. And from there, we'll continue to sort of narrow the scope of the project. So we've already engaged with our primary regulators in Spain, in the province of Asturias, which is the Department of Mines and the Department of Environment, and asked them to give us some feedback as to what they're expecting to see from us in our feasibility study and our ultimate development applications. And as we get more and more feedback and we continue those discussions with them, we'll narrow that down into a scoping study or what is known in Canada as a preliminary economic assessment. And we'll look at the economics and the viability of the project. At that point, we'll have a better understanding of all of the various components that we'll need to go out and get quotes for. And then we'll start a feasibility study that will then ultimately, we will be able to present to our regulators, to our local community, and say, look, this is actually how we're going to do things. I'd imagine that given the extent of the work that's been done historically, that we'll be able to start that feasibility study toward the end of this year, and I don't think it'll take us a particularly long time to complete it. I'm optimistic that we could be in a position to commence production in 2019. Will Black Dragon ultimately be the producer, or will you partner up? If this project required a billion dollars of upfront capital, I'd say, yeah, we definitely need to go and get a partner. This is a project that's got a relatively small footprint. We're looking at mining anywhere up to 1,000, 1,500 tonnes a day. That's not a particularly big mining operation. And of course, at the back end, all we want to do is produce a gold concentrate. That's a very simple flotation circuit that will be able to take those concentrates and ship them to a smelter who will ultimately pay us for what we deliver to them. What kind of mine life is that potentially? At the moment, we've got about a 10-year mine life. I would look to try and grow that through two ways. One, through the drilling that we're doing now. The other interesting thing about Salave is that the area where all of the historical drilling, and there's been nearly 65,000 metres of historical drilling there, has been focused, represents only 5% of our licence area. And we know from some geophysical work that's been undertaken, plus some rock chip sampling, that there's gold mineralisation in other areas of our licence area. So we'll also be working on some surface-based exploration where we'll take some soil samples and we'll do some sedimentary samples and some geochemistry. Overlay that with geophysics, primarily gravity surveys, and start identifying other priority drill targets where we think quite confidently that we'll be able to add to this resource and bring it up to something that's larger that would give us not only an extended mine life but may potentially enable us to increase the throughput rate as well. There's probably a large advantage in you producing gold concentrate in Spain so relatively close to the London market and I'd like to tie that into another question. How does an Australian running a company based in London with a project in Spain that trades on the Canadian TSX Venture Exchange, how did this come together? Yeah, well, look, when I was 15 years old, I was sent to a boarding school in the north of Scotland, renowned for installing discipline in in wayward young gents. And I've basically been, you know, a resident of London and Europe since then. I've worked in commodities trading in London and eventually in investment banking, specialising in the resources sector. Black Dragon was historically listed on the TSX. It remains there. It eventually should probably migrate to London because that is obviously geographically more relevant to the London investor base. But as gold projects in Europe or any mining projects in Europe get very close to production, you often find that 
there's a huge amount of interest from the generalist funds in London to be able to get involved there. They can do that through the TSX or the ASX, but you tend to find a lot more will invest if it's a London-listed company. So TSX and ASX are great incubators for junior mining companies. They enable access to capital that allows us to get things done and do exploration and do pre-development work. But ultimately, when you go to build a project like this, London is a key financial market and that will never change. So it's easier potentially and possibly more lucrative to have such a project in Spain as opposed to Latin America or Africa or even Australia because of your proximity to a global financial center like London. Yeah, look, I think with all base and precious metals at the moment, we're seeing a, a real resurgence of mining in Europe. A lot of investors have sort of grown weary of the political difficulties in Africa and certain South American jurisdictions. And you only have to look into Central Europe at the moment and see this huge amount of activity that's going on in the mining industry. And Spain's not immune to that. Spain has got a huge amount of mining investment going in there at the moment. There's large copper mines, potash mines, lithium, coal, gold, other precious metals. So Spain is a pretty friendly mining jurisdiction. Whilst it has very strict rules about how you have to go about these things. It is a jurisdiction where you can get things done. I've been to Spain recently and you really don't know unless you've been there how impressive the infrastructure is in that country. It is amazing. Great highways, bullet trains, very modern. From what I understand, you're located in an area which is very conducive to getting the job done. Oh, absolutely. We're within 100 kilometres of two major shipping ports. We have a six-lane motorway that is about a kilometre away from the project site. We've got fantastic infrastructure in terms of electricity and water. And of course, you've also got a very, very skilled workforce in Spain. Guys who are expert in engineering and in geology. They've worked both in Spain and they've worked particularly in South America. And where we are in Asturias, of which the capital is Oviedo, the, the Oviedo School of Mines, is world-renowned for turning out some very, very accomplished geologists and engineers. Speaking of mining engineers, when you and I met in London at Mines and Money, I also met your general manager of your subsidiary in charge of the Salave project, Jose Dominguez. Quite an impressive individual with a mining pedigree in Spain. Yeah, he is. Jose has been a fantastic appointment for us. We identified him as a potential candidate in August and appointed him in October as the general manager of EMC, our subsidiary company, which owns the Salave deposit. Jose's background, he was the general manager for Rio Tinto operations in both Spain and Italy. He's a very accomplished mining engineer, again, from the Oviedo School of Mines. And he's an accomplished gentleman who's had a lot of time dealing with local communities, dealing with regulators, working very methodically through issues and explaining how things should be done and how they will be done and what the implications of those are. So Jose's primary responsibility for us is really engaging in government and community relations, but he's also overseeing all of our activities in country as well. The fact that we've got a drill permit so quickly to be able to start this drilling program next week, I think is a testament to the skills that Jose brings to the company. He's certainly been able to get those permits in place for us very quickly and I think he's going to be very successful in opening up that constructive dialogue that all mining companies have to have with their regulators. It's all about relationships at the local and provincial level, isn't it? Absolutely. For us, the primary jurisdiction is provincial, so it's in the provincial government in Asturias. There is some oversight from Madrid, but the fact that Jose has had a long history 
in Asturias. He knows many people who work in government and he knows many people in the local community. It means that he's very well placed to just continually build and nurture those relationships, which we do need. You can't build a mine without a social licence. And the methodical approach that Jose takes in terms of his engagement and his discussions at a local and a provincial level have been very successful today. Let's talk about the share structure of the company. There's the potential for significant upside over the next few years. Yeah, I think Black Dragon as a listed company is probably not well known or very well understood. On an EV per pound basis for measured and indicated resources, we trade at the moment at about you know just under $10 an ounce, whereas our peer companies, according to BMO, are trading at about $75 an ounce. And I think as our level of activity increases and we start to make more announcements with respect to the work that we're doing and the achievements that we're making, we'll start to see that move up back up to reflect more of our peer companies. We're quite excited about what 2018 is going to bring for Black Dragon. Well, I look forward to continuing our conversation over the coming weeks, Paul. Thanks so much for joining me today in the program. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, no problem. I look forward to talking to you soon about our drilling program, how we're getting on and the results we're receiving. I've been speaking with Paul Cronin, the CEO and Managing Director of Black Dragon Gold, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol BDG. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com. Did you hear something worth repeating? Find all segments of this program on our website, ellismartreport.com. Once again, here's Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Gary Cope, the president and director of Barcelli Minerals Corporation, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as BME and the U.S. as BRSLF. Barcelli is a Canadian-based junior mineral exploration company with an impressive gold, silver, and copper exploration project on renowned mineral trends in Sweden. The management team of this company is widely recognized for the identification of La Preciosa Silver Gold Deposit in Durango, Mexico for Orco Silver. I joined Mr. Cope at the offices of the company in Vancouver, British Columbia. Gary, welcome to the program. Nice to be with you today. Nice to be with you too. I'm looking forward to participating. Tell us about the company, if you don't mind. It's quite exciting that you have a project in uh, northern Sweden. and Scandinavia, as I understand, has amazing infrastructure. It does. It's certainly one of the best places in the world to find a new mine. The reasons being uh, low power costs, abundance of electricity, abundance of water, a very quality labor force, and a very low taxation rate. And that low taxation rate is very important. How involved is the government there in your project or in mining in general? Uh, the government's very involved. As most of your listeners will know, Sweden's a pretty environmentally conscious country. The government agencies are very involved. But you being Canadian-based, you've got your own set of rules that really regulate what you do globally. We do, and we try to be the best corporate citizen we can. And uh, we certainly have to follow Canadian standards. But the Swedish standards are very similar. Tell us about the company in general. Barcelay is a joint venture with Agnico Eagle, a very, very promising project in northern Sweden. Agnico is the operator, and we get to sit back and we're carried to pre-feasibility. The current ownership split is 55-45. So in other words, you don't have to raise money to bring anything forward? No, we are covered to pre-feasibility when that ownership split will change to 70-30. We think they're probably two years at least away from that pre-feasibility. So I see a smile on your face. This is obviously a very exciting company for you. Uh, Tell us about your exuberance and why. Well, I mean, it's very easy. There's a lot of gold here. (laughs) Agnico drilled 60,000 meters last year and have added 
considerable ounces. Uh, can't talk too much about that because it's not out yet, but you're going to see a new resource here from us and Agnico in mid-February. We're very happy with the progress Agnico has made and looking forward to sitting back and watching them drill a lot more ounces. What our listeners should know if they don't already know is that this management team has had a lot of success in the past. You know how to pick them, you know how to run them. I said that. Well, thank you very much. I mean, we had a great success with Orco Silver, selling it to Coor for $375 million. We started it from scratch and took it up to 270 million ounces of silver. So tell us about your shareholder base. What are we looking at as far as structure, et cetera? Well, the company's got about $125 million outstanding. It's a very, very tightly held Shell, uh, there are some very major shareholders. Ingalls and Snyder hold about 50 million shares approximately. U.S. Global is an insider. They have about 10%. Management has a huge stake of 15 to 20%. So you add those together, you can see a lot of the shares of the 125 have been taken up. I would say it's probably 80 or 90% institutional to 10 or 20% retail. And of course, you have Fresno Mining involved. Yeah, Fresnillo still owns 4 million shares from when we spun Barsley out of Oryx Minerals. And you're trading currently at near 70 cents Canadian, which is about 60 or so U.S.? Yeah, I think today we're trading 75, I think, and it's starting to get a little more active. You know, the market's very tight. It's hard to buy a big block of shares without chasing it up too much, but, you know, that's a good thing for us. Now, you and I have attended these conferences here at, in Vancouver, the uh, Vancouver Resource Investment Conference and a few other events this week. I don't think I've ever seen this kind of excitement before in the 20 years I've been in the business. Yeah, it's been a long time. I will give you that. I hope this one's for real. Uh, it feels like it's for real. You know, we have gold going up. A lot of the major banks and prognosticators are starting to give pretty bullish views on gold and silver. So I hope this one's for real. If it is, we're going to enjoy it. Well, Gary, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. I look forward to more conversations in the coming weeks and months. Thanks for joining us today in the program. Thank you, Alison. I've been speaking with Gary Cope, President and Director of Barcelli Minerals, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as BME and the U.S. as BRSLF. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com. Who are the small companies with big opportunities? Find an assortment of potential investment opportunities. Start by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Steve Cope is the CEO and director of Silver Viper Minerals. Trending on the TSX Venture Exchange is VIPR. Silver Viper Minerals is a Canadian-based junior mineral exploration company with an exciting silver, gold, and base metal exploration project in Mexico, the Clemente Project. The company's directors and management include industry professionals with a consistent track record of identifying and advancing successful mineral exploration projects. The Clemente Project is located near the city of Caborca in the state of Sonora, Mexico. It's part of the Sonora-Mojave Megashear, a 700-kilometer-long trend defined by medium to large orogenic gold and silver deposits. I joined Mr. Cope at the company's offices in Vancouver, British Columbia. Steve, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Ellis. Thank you. If you don't mind, give us an overview of the company. It looks very exciting to me. Well, Silver Viper is a company that went public in September. We did an IPO at 25 cents. We initially listed with the Clemente project, but we've just added a, a brand new project, the La Virginia project, which is on the eastern side of Sonora in Mexico. It was a project that was in the MineFinders profile and got lost in the transaction between MineFinders and Pan American. 
And now we're excited to, that we've kind of consolidated the land there and are going to get back to exploring it. You have some wonderful neighbors in the area. Sonora State itself is a, a very great jurisdiction in Mexico and minerally very prolific. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Sonora, as far as the states in Mexico that have a large history of mining, I would put it number one in Mexico, probably side by side with Durango, but we've got fantastic neighbors. In the case of the La Virginia project, it was supposed to be the lookalike for the Dolores mine that Pan American bought off of mine finders, and that's 75 kilometers south of that deposit. So give us a picture, if you don't mind, of what the next 12 months could look like for Silver Viper. Uh, The next 12 months are going to be very busy. We're going to be running a very aggressive program at the Lava Virginia project. We'll initially target a 5,000 meter phase one, but I would expect that to grow, be much larger based on success by the end of the year. And of course, this is a successful management team. You've had some uh, glory in the past and and we hope as potential shareholders and shareholders to to see that again. Absolutely. I mean, this is the fourth company now within the Belcara Group. It's the same team that sold Orco Silver to Coor Mine for 375 million dollars in 2012. Now this is our newest one but we've also got Dolly Varden Silver, Oryx Minerals and Barcelli Minerals within our group. We've got an excellent group of geologists within our corporation that I would put up against any other junior out there. Lots of experience and this is the next story. Who are some of your major investors and shareholders in this company? We've been very fortunate with the past success of the group to keep some of our large institutional holders that followed us from story to story. In the case of this one, we've got Ingalls and Schneider, again, as well as U.S. Global, would be the primary two shareholders that have participated already to date. So is the plan of the company basically to build up the resource, define it over the next 12 months, two years perhaps, and then offers will be on the table? I'm saying that, not you. Is that what potentially could happen? I mean, that's certainly always the hope for our group. Our business model has always been to take an asset that's either never had a drill hole in it or something that we believe further drilling will add a lot of value to it. And we only target projects that we think the major miners would be interested in. So if two years from now, or maybe even who knows, it could happen sooner, uh, we'd be very excited to have grown the value of the La Virginia project and have vended that off to a major. How are you capitalized right now to take care of all that you need to do? Currently have four and a half million in the bank. That certainly funds a phase one or phase two program, but we could possibly be looking at doing a financing if we decide to grow that program to be much larger. And tell us about your share structure. Currently have 42 million shares outstanding. No options and no warrants have been issued yet. It's very tightly say it's brand new. So we're excited to get going and, and we've got the share structure to allow us to create a lot of shareholder value. And what are you trading at right now? It is late January 2018 doesn't trade a lot right now, but I believe our last trade was at 17 and a half. And tell us about your management team, if you don't mind. I'm the president and CEO. We've got Gary Cope as the chairman of the board. Dale Britliff is taking the role as VP of exploration in this company. And then we've got Carla as our CFO. Well, Steve, I'm looking forward to continuing news as it develops in the near future. Thank you so much for joining me today in the program here in Vancouver. It was a pleasure, Alice. Thanks for having me. I've been speaking with Steve Cope, CEO and Director of Silver Viper Minerals. Trading on the TSX Venture Exchange is VIPR. Listen to the segment again on our website. EllisBartReport.com. You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. They've paid us for the privilege. Invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website. EllisMartinReport.com.